we find that leaders who are really focused on first finding the freedom to be themselves and really being in the zone when they're taking action every day are more effective leaders. We need strengths-based leaders more than ever right now. Welcome to Powered by Instinct, a podcast for professionals who think about how your fundamental nature drives performance. In each episode, Colby experts will interview top performers, team leaders, consultants, and coaches to discuss identifying team members' strengths, aligning those strengths with their jobs, and optimizing individual and team performance. If you're interested in getting more done more naturally, then let's jump in. Hello, and welcome to Powered by Instinct. I'm Amy Bruski, president of Colby Corp. And today, David Colby and I are going to be talking about how to be a more effective leader. Hi, David. Hey, Amy. How's it going? Good. Hey, David, to remind everybody, David is the CEO of Colby Corp, too, so we work together very closely. David is an 8273 Colby result. I am a 3583. So you never know. That may come up along the way. Because today we're talking about leaders and how leaders can specifically use their strengths, power of really instinctive strengths for their whole team to build a team that's resilient, that can grow and that they can work on what cares about them most in a way that's really effective. So also great leaders are focused on being introspective, hopefully, and thinking about what they can do to become an even more effective leader. So today we have some key questions that we're going to say every leader should really focus on to consider how much can they be an instinct-driven leader. What else would you say to that, David? I think the reason we're talking about it now is because leadership's more important than ever. There are times, I think, in the life cycle of businesses, of economies, of cultures, when things are just almost on autopilot. Basically, the leaders of yesterday created a system that's running well and Look, leadership's always important, but I think right now it's especially important because a lot of those touchstones, the systems that were built up that everybody just kind of was going along with, people are questioning them and leaders need to step up to form their own cultures and their, you know, whether it's their business, their personal lives, whatever. It's just, there's less that's a given and more needs to be figured out and created right now. Absolutely. And we find that leaders who are really focused on First, finding the freedom to be themselves and really being in the zone when they're taking action every day are more effective leaders. So today we're going to talk about what can leaders do for their own strengths and capitalizing on those. But we do. We need strengths-based leaders more than ever right now. So we're also going to focus on what do leaders need to do with the team around them. And we know that the people who focus on building a team with strengths in all three parts of the mind Those are the ones that build sustainable businesses. And no matter what is happening with change or in your industry or with the economy, whatever it might be, those are the ones that are sustainable. So David and I have been talking about some of these key questions. So we want to share all of them with you today. What are some of the things that we need to do to look at where do we need some growth? And I answered these questions for myself. And I got to be honest, like I was not able to say yes to all of these. So this is what we do every day. And it is really hard to be an effective leader and focus on all of these at the same time and be getting results. So let's start with the first question. Here it is. Do I spend the majority of my time working in ways that energize me versus on tasks that drain me? So why is that critical, David? Because leaders often forget about themselves. They need to be doing the most with what they have. If the leader is setting the tone in an organization working against their grain, 
getting stressed out, not being as productive as they could be. That's a bad place to start. Was this one of the ones where you answered yes or no? Because we haven't talked about your answers or mine. This one right now for me is yes, but there have been periods of time, certainly this year, where I'm working on lots of tasks that drain me. And here's the thing. We say it's kind of like when you're on an airplane and they tell you put your mask on first or else you can't help other people. I really do believe this because I end up being more impatient as a leader. I don't have the energy that it takes to deal with a lot of things. I'm not a great role model for other people. That's the other thing. So part of it is I need to do it for myself so that I'm thriving and I have some leftover energy to give to others. But, you know, people watching that might think, oh, that's what I have to do to be a leader. I agree with you, but I think like the, I mean, you're essentially using it as an example or a metaphor, the put the mask on your little kid first. There are people who push back like that's ridiculous. Are you kidding? My kid's going to come first. I'd rather die than my kid die. So the advice is there because it's just probably not the right approach to saving both of your lives. If you get yours on, you're going to be able to focus, concentrate then you can take care of your kids. But I think a lot of people push back on the leader thing too. Like, oh, this is a bunch of BS. You know, oh, yeah, like I'm going to be not stressed. And that's not what being a leader is. Being a leader means you take on those challenges and you're out of your comfort zone. I mean, I think people are missing the point when they look at that. There are enough challenges for leaders without having to almost have artificial ones of doing things in a way that isn't natural, you know, that is not your strength. Focus on the challenges that are going to come up that you don't control, at least control the ones that you do and put yourself in a position to win. I mean, why handicap yourself? But there's so many leaders and it's so frustrating. It's, you know, this attitude of I'm not going to shy away from a challenge like, oh, man, but that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about being afraid to take on a challenge. We're talking about being smart and setting yourself up for success. Right. There are enough challenges out there. Those will come your way. That That is not one of the challenges that we need. And I just want to remind everyone, mental energy is finite. You only have a certain amount of it to give. So you have to make really hard choices every day about when are you going to... There are, there are times when you have to work against your grain, right? That is the reality as a leader. But you want to minimize that because you need to have some energy left over for some of the most important decision making. So yeah, that's a mindset. I think There are fewer people out in the workplace now, luckily, that have that mindset than maybe they did 20 years ago, but it's still pretty pervasive. We're we're told to just, you know, toughen up and deal with it and work against your grain. And it's not sustainable. We all have to do it some of the time. So the some of the time, and you mentioned that although right now you think you're doing this, you don't always, what were you able to do to change so you could get to where you are now? I mean, are there specific things that you can think of like, oh, yeah, try this to get yourself back in that groove? Yeah, I well, there's little things that maybe are really unique to me and in my way of getting things done. But I try and carve out a little bit of time every day where I have total freedom to get things done. Like I have to have some time where I'm not collaborating. As in put it on your calendar, carve time out? Yeah. As in put time on my calendar, have some days that are just back, back to back scheduled and then some days that are a lot more open. Or else to me, that gets really, that gets stressful where I don't feel like I get to do that. The other thing is building a team around you. I mean, that takes time, but getting the right people in place so that I don't have to do those things, that is my constant focus. And, you know, we have to keep changing with that too. And that leads me into my next question. Let's all ask ourselves this and be really honest. Do I impose my way of doing things on others? 
that you're working with. And let me just say to start this off, listen, if you're a parent, you probably do in in some ways that are maybe appropriate. But I think the way that we do this a lot is as parents, there's just a one right way to get things done sometimes in your house or parent or significant other or whatever it might be. But we'll start first with the workplace. Do you impose your way of doing things on others? I'm pretty good. I get, I think I would say no for the most part here, but not always. And I'm glad you excluded the parent thing. Although, so for <laughs> so the audience knows, and a lot of you do, Amy and I both have kids. All of our kids are now out of the house. They're all at least in college. Yours are actually both out of college, right. but well, it's a little bit different, but just in terms of work, I think, you know, partly because of what we do at Colby Corp, because we are all about this. We talk about it. We think about it all the time. So, yeah, right now I'm pretty good. What about you? I think I've gotten a lot better with this, but I do think there are little ways every day that I'll start a meeting a certain way. And that is based on the way that I I need to kick off the meeting or, you know, force a certain type of problem solving. But for the most part, I think we've gotten better about this. Here's the one thing that I think is that everyone needs to understand you do have some basic bias toward how problems can get solved most effectively. It's just human nature. It's the way that I get things done is really effective. Let me help you out. This is what happens when we're mentoring. This is why I mentioned parenting, because it's just natural to do that. So I think if we can first ask ourselves, do I really value different approaches to problem solving? Because man, an effective team has more diversity of problem solving, but it's it's a lot more work and effort sometimes. People don't get things done the way that you do. So we yeah. have to value different approaches. And I'm not sure that we all can say that we do all of the time. And we got to focus on end results, right? This is where as a leader, if you're really focused on defining clearly, this is what an end result looks like. This is what excellence looks like. This is what we're going for, but then allow more freedom to get there in a way that's more natural for each individual. That's when we've got magic. And that's the harder part is really just focusing on the end result. Well, and some of it I think is giving different people the freedom to do things the way they, they do it, but also knowing which person is the right person to take the lead at different times, where even if it's not really taking the lead, but to be in charge of accomplishing some stuff. So if you're working on a project, for example, when it's time to get a plan and a system straightened out so that moving forward, things can operate more efficiently or, you know, safety security issues are dealt with by checklists or whatever it is that really demands a process, have your process driven person do that. And again, as a leader, that isn't necessarily you, even if it's a really vital part of that project. And that's where I think a lot of leaders, it's easier for me as an example to not try to force my way on other people as much as it is like, that's easier. What's harder for me is not to take over when I'm not the person who should be taking over. So my way of doing it isn't the most productive. There is somebody there who can do it. Sometimes it's, you know, I just slide in and still try to take it over when I need to step back and say, all right, let's, for example, you, Amy, would be a better person to be handling the systems structural part of a project. And I need to step aside. It's not even back so much. It's aside. Hey, you step into the focus. I'll slide in later. But Mm -hmm. easier said than done sometimes, especially in the heat of the moment. That's a really good example because it's not necessarily just imposing your way on others. It's just 
being a part of the process or imposing yourself on a part of the process that maybe you need to step out of. So yeah, that is really interesting, especially leaders do need to consider that when they're in the room, you know, people are going to listen, they're going to defer to you, those kinds of things. So you have to pick and choose when you're a part of that. That's great. Next question. Do I know how each person on my team naturally solves problems? And think of this in terms of how they naturally handle information, organization, change, physical environment. Those are very unique things. And I'm using those four because those are unique to problem-solving methods that the Collier Index identifies. But to what degree do you really understand the unique needs of each person? Well, I don't think we've talked about why it matters. I mean, I think it's implied in some of the discussion that we've already done, but I mean, I guess I'll ask you, well, who cares? Why do I need to know this about different people? I can just tell them what to do. Yeah, it's certainly easy to think that, especially based on a role. You have skills in this area, therefore, here you go, get it done. Here's what we find is that people have a unique need to take action in a certain way. It's very innate and it's unchanging. What it also is, is predictive of success in a given role. So when people are aligned with their strengths in a certain role, they thrive. This is when people love their job, they have less stress, they stick around, and they're going to get better results for you too. So as a leader, knowing that is key. And hopefully it's going to help you know how to communicate with this person more effectively, know how to coach them more effectively. You had a good example of a conductor in an orchestra. I don't know if you remember that, but I, that stuck with me that that was a great example or analogy to use. Yeah. So what I was talking about when you and I were talking about this before a couple of days ago, there are different kinds of leadership and there are different phases almost of leadership. So what I was distinguishing between was you know, a leader who really is supposed to get the most out of the people that they're working with. So using the conductor of an orchestra as an example, that leader, yes, they have a vision for what the piece is supposed to sound like. They teach and they communicate and share that vision with the orchestra so that the orchestra can then create that sound that the conductor is going for. And that's, you know, they've got to collaborate. They're working together. That's not the same as the composer of the piece. I mean, if you think about it in a lot of business contexts, that composer is often thought of as, you know, oh, the leader, because they created this whole, in this case, piece of music. Well, that's the ultimate authority. Well, but not if the composer isn't in front of that orchestra, if they're not communicating what it was supposed to sound like, it's just written notes on a page. No one's ever actually heard it before. Uh -huh. So how can they all get together and understand the differences, the nuances that's going to create a great piece of music? We're talking, you and I, in, in this context of needing to understand the way people operate, the way they take action, that's the conductor's role. If you're the composer, fine, whatever. You don't need to worry about that orchestra. That's somebody else's job. But if you are leading that orchestra, you need to know the strengths and weaknesses of different people. And I threw in the weaknesses thing. We, you know, in terms of Colby and conation and instinctive strengths, there are no weaknesses, but really a leader should know not just the conative piece. They should know the affective piece, the cognitive pieces. And, you know, there are weaknesses there. There are, and there's weakness in certain roles for you, certain roles. You're, it it's certainly going to feel like a weakness if you're having to do certain tasks. So that's right. a good example because the conductor has to get the best out of each person. I mean, that that is exactly what they're there to do. Well, you can't do that. Don't understand the strengths of that person. But even more importantly, they have to get the best of that collective unit. I mean, sometimes, right. yes, that each person, hey, we 
there's a part of this where it's a soloist, but the conductor needs to understand, even if it's not a soloist, you know, hey, the horns are really important to this piece, not the strings as much. So, hey, where we've got a strength in our horn section, we've got to focus on that rather than the strength in the string section. So maybe they're playing, they're, they're the second chair, even if they're the first chair in that, you know, yeah. orchestra example. But the next piece, it might be flip-flopped. Oh, this is really dominated by strings and not horns. Right. So What a great example, because that's leading me to my next question, which is, it's really be going beyond the individual. And do I know how to strategically com group people together or combine strengths to solve problems and get the desired re results? And this goes a little bit back to what I was saying about, you know, you got to decide who should be in the meeting. Collaboration is overrated. We don't need all of the players all of the time to be working on certain things. But as a leader, how important is it to strategically know how and when to combine the strengths? And I kind of feel like you and I both like basketball. I feel like it's a good coach knows what's happening on the court and which players should be there for that. I don't tell, tell me what you think about that. Well, they know how to put a team together. I mean, and maybe that's the next topic, but yes, they need to know and they have a good sense of which players gel well. The team of the best players at every position isn't necessarily the best team because they might not fit well together. And it's the same thing in business. You're, if you just picked your top performers in every function, you don't necessarily want those people collaborating on a project team all the time because they just don't gel. Yeah. And if a leader doesn't understand who they're leading, they will make mistakes more often when they just don't even understand how those pieces fit together. Right. And in this one, you really have to know the strengths of each person, because what we have proven over and over again is if you get too many people together with the same strengths, it's not a really effective team. And the most obvious one we use all the time is if you have a lot of people that naturally gather information and do the details and will go really in depth. And so for those of you that know Colby results, you know, the seven through tens in fact finder. If you're putting a team together to solve a problem and you've got a lot of those people, you're going to get some analysis problems. Yeah. It's going to take longer. So not knowing what you've got going on beyond the skills, like who needs to be on this project team based on information and knowledge, you're really putting some teams together that are, it's going to slow them down. They're going to get stuck, not be as effective. So here's my next challenge to that is, let's say you know how to strategically group people together. Do your team members know who they should be working with for what kinds of things. So that's kind of the advanced version of this question because I'm really proud of the fact that I see people on our team just absolutely saying, I'm going to go to this person because they naturally systematize and they're going to help me put some organization to this. And our team members now do it without us even jumping in and doing that. Yeah. Kind of across the board with different strengths too. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So a couple more quick ones here. One is, do I effectively help each member of my team minimize stress in their position? Yeah. And let me jump in because I think that stress word, this goes back to something I was saying before. And I think, although I agree with you that that mindset of just telling people how to operate is changing and there is more an understanding of getting more out of people, I think there is still a lot of pushback, especially right now. Look, stress, you're just going to have to learn to deal with stress. So my job should not be to make you comfortable and make everything easy for you. You're just going to have to deal with it. And I agree with a lot of that mindset. So let me change the wording a little bit. Insert friction instead of stress. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the way 
work gets done in a almost, you know, the definition of work in terms of physics and how, you know, it's moving mass across a distance in one of the simpler formulations in physics. Friction prevents work from being done efficiently. So stress is really a symptom of the friction that happens when people are trying to get shit done. Yeah. It would be really easy if it's light. Oh, I just need to, you know, move this stuff from here to there. And I know exactly what the task is and it's not very heavy. It's just about accomplishing that. Okay, fine. But all of a sudden now, if you put challenges up, you create friction, you know, sometimes maybe a little, a literal thing like, oh, you can't just push it across the floor because the floor is rough. It's now very difficult. It doesn't slide. There are no wheels. Think of those kinds of things, but not in a in such a literal way, what are the friction points that make it difficult for people to do their job? And that's, that's really what we're talking about with stress. Do you know where those friction points are and can you remove them so people can, again, it's about accomplishing the goals that you as a leader set out. You're not compromising on that. You're saying these are super important. How can we do them? So yeah, just realizing those friction points is the first step to then adding some lubrication and making it run more smoothly. Yeah, I love that example. I think that's really good because, yes, there is always going to be some level of stress, but friction is really key and we have to develop resilient people. So there is some degree of intensity that we need out of people. They they need to take on more. They need to be growing in their positions. But, you know, I said earlier, people stay in jobs they love. It is part of our job to figure out how to remove the friction so that we have people that are really thriving and yeah. they want to be in your organization. Turnover is really painful and expensive. So this is one of the number one things that you can do is have yeah. people be able to identify these things and then you remove them. Okay. So last question, let's kind of look toward the future a little bit. And here's a question about designing roles in the future. As my company grows, Am I confident in my ability to create or redesign roles for the future? And it's a given that your company needs are going to change, your industry is going to change. You know, how do you anticipate what's needed and change the requirements for existing roles, but even create new ones? So what do you think there? I mean, this one's this one's hard. This one's constant experimentation yeah. and and living through it. Well, a couple things. I mean, this is cheating a little bit, but maybe you aren't the right person to do this. So, you know, not every leader is necessarily going to have this insight, know it about yourself. And look, if the, if the problem is you just haven't thought about it enough to do it well, and now by having it in front of you and thinking about it, you can learn it, you can do it, great, solve that problem. But some people are going to answer no to this. And then the second question that's going to pop up is, can you do it? And are you going to be really good at doing it? And if the answer is still no, then find somebody else. Yeah. You know, that's probably somebody in your organization. If you're large enough, you know, maybe you have an, a whole organizational development department that is tasked with figuring this out. But you as a leader, if it's not you, it had better be somebody. I think the mistake that some leaders make is thinking this will just get handled like, oh, I'm really good. You know, so I'm trained as a lawyer and I think there are times when a lot of law firms, they just think it's going to happen uh -huh. and it doesn't. And they hire a bunch of people who aren't the right people and they don't create a culture and that firm doesn't last very long. Oh, that happens all the time with entrepreneurial companies, a company built around a star. And you're really getting at hiring processes that have some objective measures in place, too. If nothing else, please go back and look at 
not only how are you designing roles for the future, but how are you actually analyzing success in the job? And what process are you using to really figure this out? Because you can't even just using Colby and hiring is a fabulous first step, but you have to come keep coming back to it and saying, is this still working? Is this still what we need in that yeah. role? Yeah. So leaders of the future, you know, everybody, we all have to challenge ourselves to really consider what is needed moving forward. And your your business is going to keep growing. So I know that that's something that just when you think you have it figured out, it, it's a constant process. And like you're saying, you have to get people that can help you with this part of it as well. And the other leaders in your organizations, and you need people in the roles to be giving you that feedback too. So make sure that that you're using tools for that. Okay, well, boy, so many more possible questions that we could go through, but hopefully we've given everyone some things to think about. Really answer those questions for yourself first, honestly, but then ask it of all the other leaders you work with or leaders that work for you too. And I think as always, it starts with a leader understanding their own individual strengths and then building a team around them, right? So you've got to then figure out, identify and figure out the strengths of everyone else on the team. What else did we not hit today, David, that we can summarize? I guess the only thing I'll throw in, because I was just thinking about it as you were saying that, look, not every company is going to grow. So yeah, if you just want to be the star of a small company and you're really not going to expand and grow, okay. I mean, that's a legitimate choice. And a lot of people make that choice. They want to be solopreneurs because they hate all the other stuff. Match your ambitions to that reality then. Because what happens a lot of time, people, they aren't willing to acknowledge that. They have this vision of, oh, we're going to get bigger and bigger and I'm going to you know, have this large company or we're going to expand into all these other things. Yeah, you're really not because you're not willing to do what it takes to get there. You have to be the star. You're not willing to build a team out around you and do the hard work that that entails. So just be realistic about it and match those two things up. Otherwise, you're just going to keep getting frustrated. Right. And as a leader, you deserve to build that t- a team around you just like that, to have the organization that you want. If you're actually an owner, or a, a leader of an organization, but any other leader in a company, you deserve it. It starts with you. So we know that that leaders are kind of last in the whole process of getting their needs met, but our challenge to all of you are to make sure that you focus on you too. All right. Well, thank you, David, for joining me today. Thank you for joining me today. Of course. This was fun. We could do this all day. Now we got to get back to all the, you know, implementing the things we just talked about. So for all of you listening, thanks for joining us. As always, the best place to start discovering your own instinctive strengths or people that you work with is Colby.com. Always start by taking the Colby A index and then explore the full Colby system and, and all of the solutions that will help you with these questions that we just talked about today. All right, we'll see you next time. Thanks, bye. Thanks for checking out this episode of Powered by Instinct. This show is brought to you by Colby Corp, a company that helps leaders and organizations thrive using the only instinctive strengths assessment on the market. If you enjoyed this episode, then follow Powered by Instinct wherever you get your favorite podcasts or join us online at kobe.com slash podcast for all the latest episodes.